Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Bonjour mes amis, this is Bruce Daisley, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. You can follow us on Twitter if you search for Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. So the last episode featured real people and it's done fantastic listening. Not only has it clocked up listeners fast, but some stats for you. I've done five listeners to that one in Peru, real life Peru. Four people have tuned in in Hong Kong. I've banked up some ears in Malaysia. This is a global movement. To be fair, after I pulled those numbers, I did start to wonder if some of it might be due to me featuring someone who runs a Peruvian restaurant. Okay, I'll give Martin Morales the Lima listeners, but I'm having Malaysia. Shout out to my Kuala Lumpur crew. If you're listening in Kuala Lumpur, hit me up for a personalised greeting on air next time round. Genuinely, I don't have any t-shirts or mugs or anything, but if someone tweets me from the KL crew, I'm getting some made and sent. Postage and package charges may apply. So after the success of the Real People episode, they're back and they're back in force. The Real guests are back for the second of our specials. Here's what we've got lined up for today. We're looking to understand what genuine people at work have done to improve their work lives. So I'm talking to Laura Archer, who's written a book, Leading the Movement to Reclaim Your Lunch. We're talking to the wonderful people of the media agency, The Seven Stars. I'm chatting to Andy Oakes, a PR man who now structures his day in bursts. And David Wilding, my handsome colleague, he's talking to me merely because he let me talk to him in a small windowless room. The brief is this. Over the last few weeks, we've had the results-only work environment, we've had Rory Sutherland, even back on the first episode, Richard Reeves. All of them said the hours you spend at work are less important than the work you do. So, I was looking for examples of companies, of people who'd made this work. I know I often say, contact me on Twitter. Well, dear listener, that's what these people did. So, let's get to it. Firstly, someone contacted me from the independent media agency called The Seven Stars. While you always want to stay in passion in life you don't want to love your mom more than your dad although for the record I love my mom much more than my dad every single person I've encountered at the media agency seven stars has been life affirmingly wonderful maybe a coincidence who knows anyway they said to me we've tried lots of different ways of working come and talk to us about them and I was thinking what would my listeners in Kuala Lumpur want so I wandered down to see them one lunchtime to hear what they'd tried and how it went I'm chatting to long-term employee Zoe Basri, and the first voice you hear is founder Jenny Bigham. 
So we've grown the business every year since we set it up. And we're now up to over 160 people. And yeah, we've won a number of awards, including Agency of the Year twice. You know, within our sector, we're, we're beating a lot of bigger and more established businesses. I believe people do their best work when they are liberated to do their best work. And I think part of creating a great team is about giving each individual within that team lots of autonomy to be brilliant and to excel at what they want to do. So, and I don't believe that, you know, you get the best out of people by micromanaging them and, and you know, being too, having, creating an environment that's too controlling. So some of the things that we do, for example, is that we, in order to avoid pigeonholing people, we don't give them job titles so people don't move up a career ladder in a traditional kind of way. When my colleague Zoe joined from day one, we've just called her Zoe. Um, she's got a few nicknames, but in general we call her Zoe. You know, and she's progressed through through a digital media route into client leadership, into coordinating all of the internal project teams for us. So she actually does a difficult job to describe now, but that's because we've just said, you know, what what she wants to do, we try and create the role around her. What we always say is our culture won't work for everybody. So because we do give people a lot of autonomy, that also with, with that comes a lot of responsibility. And for people who are very entrepreneurial and have high levels of initiative, I think it works really well. Other people really do prefer a more corporate structure with better guidelines, better restrictions around what they should and shouldn't be doing and better direction and leadership. We set up a profit share scheme here after about three years. In fact, not, not long after we started to make profit. The thought behind the profit really was that, you know, the agency business model very much is that the profit that you make is the difference between your costs, which are 80% personnel costs, and the, the, you know, what the advertisers pay you. So I always think that the profit that this business makes isn't so much the numbers that the FD shares with me every quarter, but much more it's about 160 people each delivering at the top of their game. All 160 people are delivering 100% of what their capacity is, then the agency will do very well and be profitable. And if everybody kind of is here, you know, cruising and being a passenger, we'll make less profits. Consequently, we put together a profit share scheme that's quite radical. We take, uh, as long as, assuming we hit profit target, We'll take, well, this year, 10% of our total profit and we will share it back within the team on a on an equal amount per head. So not an equal percentage of salary or anything like that, an equal amount of cash. And that's because we just think we've all collectively worked hard. We've all done our bit to make that profit and we just want to share it equally. And the profit share is much less of a personal incentive for people. It's much more of a, a recognition of success and celebrating success. <laughs> it is a big amount to share back. Equally, it's, it's only through that 160 people that that profit's been generated in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a privately owned business, that's just the decision that we, we took to make. Then we've, we've added to the uh, scheme over years. And one year we added, which we've maintained every year, an additional thing whereby everyone blogs about how they're spending their cash because we all get the same amount of cash it's great to just share how we're all spending it and then the agency gets to read the blog pieces and whoever whoever we think has spent the money in the most creative way the agency votes and they get to double their bonus i had a big birthday party last year so i put my whole bonus behind the bar <laughs> and then i tried to get it back on the bonus blog <laughs> which kind of defeated the generosity that i was trying to portray 
Um, we've had people who have said they want um, a DJ kit, so to play music, and then they've won it, and we've made them play here at the office for us all to appreciate. And we've had people kind of buy pool tables, motorbikes, people who say, this. Oh, we've had an amusing one last year about someone who was saying, get me out of my house share because my, my flatmates are a nightmare, and... <laughs> blogged about all the kind of text messages between them and how she was like help me get out of here and give me a deposit for another flat so it it gets quite funny some of the things we do in terms of flexible working is we we're 100 percent hot desk so everyone here when they join gets a locker and a laptop they don't get a fixed place to sit and that that's a kind of signal that you know we want people not to feel that they're constrained to where they sit in the office and having their boss checking up on them on a kind of hourly basis and from day one we've never had holiday forms here so people basically are again entrusted to spend a sensible amount of time in the office versus on the beach or on the ski slopes or wherever they want to spend their their um, spare time that's that, that's kind of just some of the examples and then more recently we've tested complete flexible working we started with a test for, with a very small team in the agency who did this test without telling anyone else, whereby they have no hours at all. So they could come in whenever they wanted, they could leave whenever they wanted. They were basically testing that, that kind of whole freedom. As long as the work's done, we don't care if you're here, where, wherever you are. They did that test without telling the rest of the agency because part of what I wanted to know was whether the rest of the agency would notice. The feedback from that team was mixed. I think they found it in some ways liberating, but in some ways just difficult, logistically difficult to get together and to know where people were and things like that. And then we did the whole agency tested core hours. So we had all 160 of us had to be in between 10 and 4. But if you came in at 8 in the morning, you could leave at 4. If you came in at 10, you expected to hang around till 6. We did that for a week for the whole company. We collated all the feedback after the end of that week. The results were literally split down the middle. So there were people who loved it, who were kind of like, oh, I go to the gym, I feel more healthy, I feel more relaxed, I feel it's a really progressive thing to do. And there were people who hated it, found it frustrating, found it wasn't helping them to get their job done, and that was actually adding more stress to them because they were finding the added complication of trying to organise things around, you know, when people were going to be available. In the week where we all had the chance to come in early or uh, work late... It was amazing how I just worked nine to five that day. <laughs> to actually, like, I just kept to kind of normal hours because I was quite... I did not every day, but there was just... I found myself, like, automatically coming in on the train for nine o'clock and it was just like, OK, wait a minute, I've got to make this work a little bit better for me. I was probably, as a, like, personally, I, I did like the fact that if I didn't get out of bed at half past six to make my gym class, that I could get out at seven and still come into work late and still have achieved that. But managing a team when suddenly a client picks up the phone and just is like, I really need this for my 10 o'clock meeting. And you're like, I don't really know what time my team are going to be in to for those kind of quick turnarounds. It was kind of like, ah, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to drop everything. And, and it just kind of made it a little bit more stressful in those circumstances. And, and they all felt quite strongly one way or the other. It was like Brexit. It was literally <laughs> like, what are we going to do? The majority was to keep ours as they were, but it was very, very slim majority. So what we did was we, we've compromised. So we do the core hour thing on a Friday. So we have flexible Fridays. Monday to Thursday, we're, we're normal. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay, and how's that working out? Brilliantly. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Because you can start planning stuff around 
um, your Friday and where people wanted to like catch an earlier train which is off peak to go to Devon or something for the weekend suddenly it wasn't about taking time out and leaving early and asking to have an hour and a half off it was actually more about you know coming in early and doing right. work and so people now you know very adult about it and manage their time on a Friday to right. to maximize their their weekend or their Fridays I think it it really varies on depending on company size as well so um, you know, years ago, I think when Zoe first joined, there were probably 15 mm-hmm. of us. Um, and then it was really easy to set precedence around, we don't mind when your lunch is, we don't mind what time you come in, if you're a bit late, we know you put the hours in and things like that. We just all knew that about each other. Um, and I think you get to a certain size where you do need to start giving people permission because much as we haven't changed and our outlook hasn't changed and our rules haven't changed if you like people just start to behave like other people and look out for other people and when yeah. you know what what time's he leaving i can't leave until he's left and all that stuff so you have to really put things in place now i don't think we can get an awful lot bigger headcount and keep exact keep it exactly as it is so one of the you know one of the best things about our company i always think is that we get the whole company together every week good news bad news whatever's going on gossip people just hear it firsthand you know there's no kind of official all-staff email coming from me or something like that so i think for me that makes a massive difference so once you get to a size where you can't physically get together every week or if you do get together it becomes the boss giving a, a sermon, I suppose, in the way that a lot of big, you know, particularly American companies do. That's very different to, to, the, to the culture that we've got. Yeah, so we, I, I actually think we will be more successful long term by basically just starting again. So uh, we've set up a second agency that will be slightly different to what, what we do, but effectively it's the same. And the main reason we had behind setting it up was we didn't want to grow so big that we lost the culture, cultural things that we can do here genuinely having worked at bigger companies we i know that we can move much more quickly we can make decisions more quickly somebody has a crazy idea in the company meeting we can implement it and some of those ideas won't work like complete flexibility and things like that but we can test it and if it works then we will implement it and if it doesn't then we won't well it worked for half the people that's the problem it's really tricky we might have got used to it yeah you're right actually because a week's probably not long enough to try it properly yeah the best the best comment that we had back negative comment we had back that just made me laugh was somebody who said I can't stand it I get in at eight every morning anyway because I want to get my work done I'm now getting in at eight and I hear two hours of conversations about what was on telly last night because you know when you come in naturally you you chat to your colleagues don't you and he was obviously sitting around people coming in (laughs) anytime between eight and ten and listening to all of this chat about the tv last night and things like that it's kind of like you normally you do that for 15 minutes and that's great and then you get on with your work and he was just so two hours worth of it was just too much so then i asked a question that i think really touched the nerve i asked what was their policy about people wearing headphones that is a great question. Um, the Henry, who has set up our second agency for us, he's banned them from day one. So it's, it's in, in the job specs he sends out. Is if you come into the office, you're here and, and you're engaged. If you want to go and have some quiet time, go and do it in Starbucks, but don't sit in the office in your headphones because he just thinks it's a kind of countercultural thing to do. 
And it's, it, but it is one of those things, because he's done it from day one, and that's very clear, anyone joining, that's, that's his rule. It's difficult to take it away from people. So if we suddenly said, I don't think we should have headphones, I think people would say that's, that goes against the whole, it's up to the individual, you're here to do a job, as long as you do a great job, do it how you want. I do think sometimes you need to just plug in and focus on getting a deck together or to just clear your inbox. And sometimes, you know, you can't be distracted by what's on in the office because it is quite an interactive office and it's great most of the times. But if you're up against a clock and you need to really focus, I'm, I am quite partial to putting in my earphones just... And it's, it's literally, it could be like an hour every other day. It's not like all the time. The thing is as well, we, you know, we are paid by our clients to come up with ideas and to, you know, have points of view. And most of those, most of the things that our clients really appoint an agency to do are better done in teams and better done through conversations and chats and that can be informal or formal or whatever but you you know you can't just sit there with a headphone on and, and plug through it's not that kind of role I don't know you could do your admin with your headphones on or you could write a presentation with your headphones on but could you really come up with a great kind of creative concept could you really chat to a client could you really chat to other team members about what that client stands for or get a good understanding for, I don't know, if Suzuki's launching a new car, everyone's opinion on that car helps form your opinion. So you need to chat about it. On our um, landline here, we don't have voicemail. So I always think if somebody wants to leave a message now, they'll drop you, you know, a, a WhatsApp or they'll drop you an email. If somebody takes the trouble to ring, then they want to speak to a human being and they should be spoken to by a human being. So a lot of people, when they first join here, we, we encourage everyone to have come up with ideas. So we have this kind of scheme that's idea of the week and you can win a tenner if you come up with an idea. A lot of people, when they first join, their, their idea will be something like, oh, yeah, we should have voicemail. <laughs> it's OK, it's not... A, I'm not that old. I don't know what voicemail is. We've just made a conscious decision not yeah, to have yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie, that broke my heart. It's like when a revolution goes wrong. It's like George Orwell's Animal Farm. Maybe the best way of reinventing work starts at the individual level. Now, I work at Twitter. I try not to mention that too much here. And by general consensus, the single best person in the London Twitter office is my colleague, David Wilding. If you imagine David Tennant, but even better, that's David. David is the planning director of Twitter. He, he grabbed me one day to talk about the changes he's made to his own life and working routine. I thought I'd record it. We talk about the ideas that David heard Rory discuss in episode 13. David explains that his life is strongly impacted by a long commute. We moved out from London about 11 years ago. Basically, we had kids when I was quite young-ish. It was one of those things where my second kid was six months old. The first one was two years old. Classic thing. What do you do? Do you get a bigger house? Do you move out a bit? And the plan was always, we get a bigger house. We move slightly further out of London. We're going further and further down the Northern Line anyway. Um, and we just sort of didn't ever really get into house hunting. I don't know how much of this detail is particularly interesting. But we then ended up looking out that sort of M25 area, classic stuff. Let's get a sensible commute. One day we went down to visit my sister who lived on the South Coast. Beautiful sunny weekend. And actually we thought to ourselves, oh, I reckon we could probably live here. There's probably a train, you know, that kind of stuff. Not really thinking about it. Things escalated, we moved. And so essentially, yeah, my commute's now best part of two hours door to door it's not too awful you get a seat because it's the end of the line and when it works it works but as a result of that for, for what 10 or 11 years now I've always been very conscious of having some element of work flexibility where possible 
just because I think mentally to be on the train consistently every day is just not good for you psychologically and you kind of see people being worn down by it so I've always tried to like try and work from home when I can which in our industry is hard it's very London based so it's like once every you know, fortnight maybe every two or three weeks just try and stay off the train really and that's the main motivation for doing it is actually just not being on the train but at the same time you can then work in different ways and you can you know focus on stuff perhaps send less emails and all the stuff you've been talking about on the series about being you know, not disturbed and what have you I guess that's been something I've always been very, very conscious of. Right? I've got this commute. I've got to try and use it in a way that's useful and proactive. It's not a great commute in terms of Wi-Fi and stuff. You sort of have it some of the journey and you don't have it on some of the rest. So I've been trying to make work fit around that as best I can. You and I talked and you said after the Rory episode, yes. you'd thought about how you were using your commute. Yes, so without being hugely geeky about trains, if I can avoid it, but they said there's a train from where I live to London every 30 minutes. Some are faster than others. You work it out which ones are good, which ones aren't. And while I heard Rory talking about the fact that he won't get a train into London at rush hour because it's busier, you can't get seats, you can't get your work done, so it's wasted time. And I had this sort of moment of, of realisation that I could completely see what he was saying because actually if you get the first train in, I'm actually in the office by 8 o'clock, which is remarkably early, but you do it because you get a better quality of commute, less people on the train, you need to get stuff done, you can get a table, you can sit and you can work. Nicer people? I don't talk to anyone. (laughs) I think if you're going to commute, the worst mistake you can make is have commuter friends. Because then you have to have a conversation with them. Yeah, someone told me he's got a WhatsApp group of the people on the train. I mean... I can't imagine anything worse. Genuinely, my worst nightmare. And of course there's Twitter. So, you know, there's plenty of stuff to keep company. Um, but no, I can't imagine anything worse. So, so yeah, 90 minute commute and I'll, use, I'll send emails. Or, yeah, I'll go on Twitter. I'll do, you know, keynote, all that sort of stuff. Do, do work. Um, but yeah, so I've always done the early one, but I've never really done the other one, which is come in at like 10, half 10 and start your day at half eight nine but start it on the train and I never really had kind of mentally given myself permission to do that and I think it's because you kind of think well you've got to be in the office you've got to be working hard and, and I kind of heard Rory do it and I'll talk about it and I thought actually do you know what it makes so much sense the way he talks about it so I'll give it a go so literally since that episode which is what three four weeks ago I think I heard it I've it's a very simple small thing but I put it in my diary earlier train and later train on like consecutive days um, according to you know what I need to do, meeting schedule, so you know when you see the kids, that kind of stuff, and it's been amazing, particularly the kind of later train one. So this morning, for example, I think the train I got was like eight thirty. Literally sat at the table, worked nonstop for an hour and a half. Nobody got on, partly because it's you know towards the end of the week, and it was incredible. I didn't even you know, stop and look up once. Really, it's just completely in that zone, in that flow. It just happened to be on a train, and I was in, got in the office about what, quarter past ten or something. I still, funny enough, had that guilt. Weirdly, I don't think yeah. that leaves you, um, but I'm learning to control that now. And do you feel happier or, or less stressed? You don't strike me as a stressed person <laughs> anyway. But do, do you feel happier from it? Yeah, I would say very simply yes, because um, I just feel more in control of when I can do my work. The daft thing is no one's judging you, are they? But you're judging yourself. So I've sort of given myself permission not to care about that. But yeah, the, the sense that I can control my working week more and put stuff in, it's just simple stuff, put stuff in your diary. People generally don't override it that much. So yeah, I'd say definitely. Yeah. The other thing I've been doing, Bruce, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the other thing I've been doing is 
again, based on what Rory was talking about, was the um, the comparative advantage of being in the office, which I thought uh, he, he framed it so well. That thing about the comparative advantage of being in the office is that you can have meetings, either scheduled ones or those sort of serendipitous ones where you just chat to people and move things on in a way that you can't over email. So I've been deliberately trying to do the thing whereby you, know, you turn your email off or you do it in chunks throughout the day. So not using the office environment to do stuff you can do outside of the office and I wouldn't say I can give lots of tangible examples of that working but I know this week alone you know last couple of weeks four or five conversations that just wouldn't have happened if I'd been just not behaving like I had done before and so that is consciously wandering the floor yeah. chatting to people literally just wandering the floor you know seeing who's working and, and yeah chatting to people and finding out what's on there what they're up to and where you know where you can happen that kind of stuff and it's, it's a it's a frustrating thing because you can't go it's made a 23 percent difference in productivity it's, it's none of that but you know you can feel that sense of of that working for you and do you think these things could work at scale because like earlier on in this episode we i've had people like seven stars talking about how things didn't work out they tried to change it didn't work out largely because the naysayers in the group won over so do you think what you're doing only works because you're controlling it yourself or could it work if it was sort of happening across the whole of a company? It's a really good question, isn't it? And I've, I've often thought about this myself. I, I, I'd love to be able to go, yes, it can definitely work at scale. I could see, though, the minute that this comes in at that sort of level, people might start to go, oh, that one's done, you know, he's done two later trains in a row and I've done an early and a late, you know, in, in the wrong culture. Yeah, you'd have to sort of lay down some ground rules, maybe. I'd love to see people give it a go. It's just it's just the, the maturity, isn't it, and the trust to kind of say to people, we trust you, we want you to be happy, we want you to work in a way that works for you. You'd almost just have to call out, though, that unsaid thing of people sort of checking in on each mm. other. I don't know how you do that. That's what the the, woman who, the people who do the results-only work environment, they say that they have a session called a sludge session, right. which is initially... They say when you transition to free-form working, there's so much toxicity in the casual things that people say, you know, sort of looking over and and, and people feeling like there's just a climate of disapproval if you come in at 11 o'clock. Yeah, all that half-day stuff, you know. And actually, I think you need to get rid of that because actually the main disapproval I have for doing it has been with myself. (laughs) It's that thing about you shouldn't really be getting in at this time. And I'm very... I'm learning to get over that, and that's actually I am now getting over that. But were I then to go and work somewhere where that wasn't a done thing, it'd be very, very hard, I think, for me to go and do it at a place where literally everyone was at a desk by nine every day. Come on, mate. Yeah, you need to empower yourself, but you also need to work in a culture where people are giving you that opportunity to do it. I think one of the things I was chatting to someone, and he was saying to me that the reason why he hates working from home, and his old company, so it's someone who works with us actually, uh, his old company was very heavily working from home. Yeah. And he said he lost the humour, he lost the sense of being part of something, yeah. just working completely autonomously just felt like an empty job. So there's definitely a balance, isn't there, between yeah. what you're doing seems the right thing. Coming The Rory yeah. model, I'm going to call it the David Wilding <laughs> model, coming in, interacting yeah. with people, doing that, and then, and then not feeling ashamed to go yeah. and do your email somewhere else. Exactly, making the most of the time that you've got in you know where everybody else is yeah it's just so sensible when you think about it isn't it i mean you just you've always got such a clever way of expressing something that makes logical sense but nobody does 
Um, so yeah, I think if that was to happen at scale, we'd all be much better for it. I tend to find when I work at home, things just take longer to do because you haven't got the stimulus of stuff around. You know, one conversation can kick things on. You know, five minute conversation can kick things on in a way that two hours of sitting and thinking about something on your own can't. So you need to get a balance, don't yeah. you? To be fair, that wasn't the only thing that myself and David discussed. Here's another story he wanted to tell me. I've edited it from over 10 minutes to six and a half seconds. Anecdotes for the Vine generation. I used to clean ferries okay, when I was so a the, student. Right, okay. So. And we worked in bursts, hour and a half, and I was blissfully happy. Thanks for that one, David. So, based on small changes having a massive impact, I went to meet Laura Archer. Laura has written a book called Gone for Lunch, which is about reclaiming your mojo via the better use of your lunch break. Very similar to the idea of take back your lunch that Tony Schwartz talked about in episode 17. There was only one way to do it. I shared my lunch break with Laura in the sunshine bathed gardens of St Paul's. So Laura, I, I love the book actually, there's so much variety and colour in it, but can you sort of talk me through how you found yourself doing this? Absolutely. So it started with a letter. I had promised a friend that I was going to write her a letter and I sort of set aside uh, an evening, it didn't happen, then I thought I'll do it at the weekend, the weekend came, it didn't happen. Something always came up, either, either I was too busy or I was too tired to sort of face sitting down and writing a letter for half an hour. It wasn't just a letter, there were several things I wanted to do that I just never seemed to have the time to do and it was a growing frustration that I didn't have the time for it. And so I was literally looking for extra time and I was sort of looking at my life and thinking where can I find more time and I realised I had five hours during the week that I wasn't using which were my lunch breaks. So I decided I was going to go and write her this letter on a lunch break. I did it, I went to prep, sat down, wrote the letter um, and it felt really great, not just because I'd sort of achieved the job but also because it had given me a break from, from work. It had given my mind a break from work. I'd sort of switched off completely. I wasn't thinking about anything linked to my emails or my inbox or anything like that. And, and I went back to work feeling sort of happier, more energetic and just better about things. So I thought, OK, I'm going to try and do this more. I'm going to think of all the other things that I want to do and I'm going to try and achieve those during my lunch breaks. Um, so I sort of set out to, to take every single lunch break that I could, but I knew that I would need a kind of um, instigation to do it. So I thought I would set myself a different thing for each week in order to, to keep going and, and not let myself get sort of complacent about it. So I started writing a list and thought I'd have about 12 things. Got past 40 and I thought, OK, I'll try and see if I can make one for every week of the year. And I managed to. So then I thought I'd start blogging about it because I couldn't find anything online really that was talking about it but also when I typed in things to do in your lunch break it would often just be like go and get a manicure and I thought there was nothing that really encouraged people to use that time for themselves so I thought I'll start it as a resource for other people to get ideas also for them to see that it's doable I wanted to prove that I had a full-time job and I was able to do all this um, and also to kind of chart how realistic it was to expect to take a lunch break every day um, which not so much I, I, I probably manage about two or three a week but that still makes a huge difference in fact even one a week makes a huge difference and then then the blog became a book and now hopefully people will buy the book and and be encouraged to do the same thing I think the best thing about the book is the amount of stimulation in there because exactly as you say probably if you invited someone to think about I had someone on a couple of weeks ago talking about take back your lunch and if you invited most people to think about what to do in their lunch they might say right go and eat my sandwich in the park yeah. or they might say walk around go around 
H&M like you, you know they, they do really trivial things whereas actually the book's got hundreds of examples you know it's, it's full of examples can you yeah. talk me through how the book's laid out and, yeah, and what's included absolutely so um, so there's four sections to the book there's four categories active sitting inside and outside so depending on what kind of lunch break you want something for everyone um, it also breaks it down into how much time you need for each activity so some of them you only need 20 minutes once a week um, some of them you need sort of 45 minutes five times a week but depending on how much time you have and, and what sort of thing you want to do it kind of lays it out for you really clearly at the beginning so you know when you start it you're not suddenly going to panic and have to run back to work um, in terms of some of the ideas that are in there there's everything from Things that people probably already do, like go for a walk, um, treat yourself, um, then to sort of more exciting things like go to a lunchtime concert, go to a gallery, do some volunteering, give your lunch break up for someone else, go on a bike ride, a slightly more dangerous one. <laughs> there's, there's sort of everything. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Oh, knit a scarf. So learn a new, learn a new skill. Like knitting a scarf. I learned how to play chess, which I never played before learn to language obviously you can't learn a whole language in one week but you you kind of get over the initial hurdles so it's just using that time to sort of start something that maybe you've been wanting to do for a long time but have never found the time to do it the thing i was most intrigued by when it, when you were talking about you had a, a three-month project where you weren't able to take a lunch break yeah and so you said you you said that you found yourself withdrawing into the the, the carbs caffeine alcohol the thing that we all reach for when we're knackered yeah um, no, so I think that was the most surprising point in this whole experience for me. I, I don't think I really noticed the positives of taking a lunch break other than the fact I really enjoyed it. And it was when the lunch break was then denied that I noticed how much of an effect it had on me. And I basically just crashed. Like my, my diet crashed, my, my mood crashed, my energy crashed, um, my attitude towards my job crashed. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the main thing was that if I didn't leave my desk, I'd be so exhausted by the end of the day that I would I'd really crave a takeaway or a ready meal, something that's sort of easy and comfort foody and just not probably very good for you. Um, with that, I'd also want to have a glass of wine, you know, whether it's when I got home opening a bottle or going to meet friends straight away because you just you really seek like that perk that sort of gets you going again um also caffeine i never normally drink caffeine i was drinking sort of one to two coffees a day which is a lot for me probably not for other people um and then with that you kind of crave sugar and so it all just got really 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 bad and i just felt very heavy um and then by the time it got to the weekend i'd had such an unhealthy week in terms of energy and diet that you just all you want to do is have a really long lion on Saturday morning and then you probably want to feel excited and energetic so you get out and get drunk on Saturday night and then you have another line and then you're exhausted by the end of the weekend and not ready for the week that's about to begin and you know it's just going to be a whole other cycle of the same thing um, whereas when I was having the lunch breaks or when I have my lunch breaks you get a sort of second wind you return to your desk sort of as fresh as you are in the morning because um, you've given your mind a break you've given your body a break and so by the time you get to the weekends you look back on your week and think wow this is the week that I sort of spent three days in art galleries and I saw all these exhibitions I wanted to see and actually maybe it lets you relax a bit more at the weekends and sort of not not panic about things so much. And presumably it punctuates your time as well if you can remember that you went to see yeah. that exhibition on Wednesday then yeah. it, it helps you separate all the days from each other. Yeah and I think and the and the weeks and the months like I think the nicest thing is I look back on this year and I've done so much and I couldn't tell you if you asked me what I did two years ago I just think oh work and maybe I went on a couple of nice holidays but I can't tell you much else about what I did whereas this year I can say oh that week I did 
concerts that week I did walks and that week I did running and, and you your year it's sort of like you, you visualize it when you look back and it's just dotted with color and discovery and kind of creativity um, so it really it changes I don't know it, it just makes you a lot less sort of panicked about the fact that you're not achieving things or you're not doing what you want to do I think the best thing about the book as well is it's not just for people in London where there's a no. lot of things going on these hundreds of suggestions of things to do wherever you are right? yeah yeah so it's not it's non-location specific so there's nothing in there that's particularly linked to London it's actually got sort of sections that you can fill in yourself so you can make it relevant to your area um, there's there's only a few things in there that you probably definitely need to be in a city for the majority of things you can be based anywhere and if if there is something so for instance lunchtime concerts it will say if you're not near a lunchtime concert you can go online to these sites and, and they have live broadcasts or you can listen to some music so it hopefully caters to everyone regardless of where they are and so the thing I'm always interested in on this podcast yeah. is happiness and, and sort of work culture. Two things there. Are you, do you think you're happier as a result? And secondly, do you think your work's better? Do you think you're more productive? Yes, to both. <laughs> in terms of happiness, I think it's, it's going back to that idea of, of colourfulness and looking back on my year and feeling, feeling fulfilled, really, that I think lots of people see work as a chunk of their life where they're going to be doing something they don't necessarily want to be doing and they think oh when I retire I'll do this or I'll go abroad or I'll learn a language blah 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 and I think I feel like my life is running alongside my work life perfectly right now that I'm that there's nothing that I'm missing out on um, which I think massively affects happiness I don't know how to how to sort of measure it but um, I think that's that's the main thing that I have lost that sense of oh god like I'm, I'm giving all this time to my employer and not doing anything that I want to do I'm actually grateful to my employer that I'm in this job because it enables me to do the things I want to do during my lunch break um, and then what's the other one productivity yeah pro yes definitely productivity because like I said if I if I don't step away from my desk I get this huge slump around sort of two three o'clock that I don't properly recover from um, and so the afternoons just kind of descend into this haze of kind of lazily typing emails and things yeah. like that whereas when I get away from my desk I mean if you do something active you literally come back with your blood pumping yeah. um, some of the sort of sitting ones so even like playing a game of chess you could feel your your mind expanding kind of laterally it was really odd actually and you realize how much at work you just think in one direction and to just take 20 minutes out for a game of chess and think in, in several directions and think five moves ahead and all the rest um, meant that when I sat down my mind was literally buzzing for about an hour afterwards um, so that definitely has an impact on productivity because you're just you're just more ready to step up and I was things. intrigued what you said which takes it even further you said you sort of had this wanderlust that you, you were debating leaving your job and yeah. and, and you know it, and that was probably a reflection of just I would have thought habitual day-to-day -day annoyance yeah it, and I course, I, go, go on. oh no I, yeah a, a sort of day-to-day -day annoyance and I think just that dream that you have that you would be doing something better with your time if you had that time, which, which is never true. Like, you know, you go on holiday and you just sit by the pool. Like, you never go on holiday and become an artist or anything like that. And, and so I think it's actually making that time more manageable. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say, say that I was dreaming of quitting and going to art school and becoming an artist. I'd probably get two months into it and then think, oh, no, I want to be a banker. And, you know, I think just taking half an hour of your day to, to go and sit and draw a picture or, or write part of a book or whatever it is that you dream about doing actually just firstly it makes it more manageable you don't have to go and 
move out of the city and live on your own and be lonely and and do all that secondly i think it just it makes it more joyful it incorporates it into the life that you're already enjoying and means that you can have you can have it all really my new bombshell of a fact that i wish i had before the book was published is that I, i've just added up all the hours that you you miss if you don't take your lunch break and they equate well literally if you if it's an hour a day it equates to 32 and a half days of annual leave but taking off you know holidays and christmas and things like that it's so roughly for everyone it's about 30 days of annual leave that uh you're missing out on if you don't take your lunch breaks and so if you just think what you would do with those 30 days of annual leave and just think of your time differently think of what you would do with it in half an hour chunks rather than 30 whole days then i think that kind of makes people want to take their lunch break a bit more hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To finish, I spoke to Andy Oakes. Andy used to be a publisher and recently went to set up his own PR agency. He told me he'd been interested in the concept that Tony Schwartz discussed in episode 17. The idea that we should accept that we work best in bursts. If you change your location, give yourself moments to recharge, then you'll do your best work. I called him on a pretty raw phone line and he talked to me what he'd seen from working in bursts. Bursting is brilliant because it allows you to retain focus. It means that you can put, you can have a real high energy session of work. You can be really focused on something. And then because of the nature of several different clients, it, I, I can finish that burst, stop, change environment, change place, and then go and start, you know, start another burst if you like. It's being quite conscious about it, saying, I've done that now. That's a task finished. I'm going to do something different, but I need to be somewhere else to do it, just to sort of change mindset. And having been out of that environment now for four months, I'm really seeing the benefits of working like this, and it's really freshened up my approach. Uh, you know, the next time, the next time I do have that big, you know, um, in that environment, I'm going to have to bring it along because I don't think I could go back to that way of working. And certainly, when I'm talking to clients now, I'm advising them about how they can think about that, whether whether they feel that it's going to be better for their guys. You know, I understand a lot of offices can't do that just to, just for the physical constraints, but I I know now that it's something that I will need to do to get the best out of me and I'm fucking you know, very happy to pass that on to people because you know there's an environment where it's people that frowned upon for getting up and moving around you know we need people to understand that it's effective what's effective for one person isn't for another people need to change scene I couldn't go back and not do it that way now I think it the sort of just sitting at a desk for long and involved periods just fills me with terror Thank you, Laura Archer, David Wilding, Jenny Bigham, Zoe Basri at The Seven Stars. Thanks to Andy Oakes. Really appreciate you listening. You can always go along to iTunes to subscribe. And while you're there at the Apple Podcast Store, you can leave a review. All reviews are gratefully received. Appreciate you listening. This is Bruce Daisley. See you next time.